0: Politics without the soap opera. With unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen, to the one and only CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house here on Wednesday, June 9th. And we got a ton of stuff to talk about. Good and bad, crime, COVID, court cases, elections, you name it. There is so much to talk about. More importantly, there are so many action items for us to do because we here are all about action. That's why you can go to constitutionaction.com to join one of our Liberty Strike Force teams where we will actually get involved on everything political and legal that matter to our country, when they matter, how they matter. Uh, Because, folks, more and more I'm feeling the sense, like I started off yesterday's show with, that we're so close to making a difference. I even feel in my own work, I'm very excited to share news with you today about a story, a successful lawsuit. I feel like we are getting very close to the point where at least in some of the red states, if we just asserted ourselves, if we just kept focused, had a focused, very specific agenda that couldn't get hijacked, focus on primaries, There's what we can do to make part of the country a better place to live. Um, I was going to start off today with more bad news, but I think you hear a lot of bad news from me, so I'm going to put some of the crime stories on hold for now. Um, There is a terrible court decision or sentencing that I wrote about yesterday But I figured, why not start today with some good news? For once, a court decision has made me really excited, and I wanted to share that news with you. Now, folks, uh, because we do have so much crime in this country, you do have to learn how to protect yourself. Um, One of the things that almost nobody does enough is train. Train, train, train. Um, Tons of people own guns more than ever, carry guns in you know, the majority of states where you can. But training is something that people don't do enough. And obviously now with ammo being so expensive, uh people are going to the range you know, less often. That's why I support iTarget, a propriety app that has really the best laser bullet to fire in your gun that I think is on the market. iTarget Pro. It's very simple. It's a fake bullet that has a laser in it you clear your firearm um put it in there uh load it and then you know you practice dry fire like you do any other place. point in a safe direction and they give you this target and then you download the app and focus your iphone on the target and it will time your shots render them where they are as if you're doing target practice it's very accurate um, all that muscle memory, the five count draw from a holster, uh, the proper grip, the certainly the trigger pull—you know, a smooth trigger pull, not jerking the trigger—that is all accurate. It is all very accurate. You get everything but the recoil or doubles. You can't shoot controlled pairs. It has to be one at a time, and then you reset it. For all of you guys that come out to me with me to front sight, and and really anyone who practices. I recommend iTarget Pro to stay sharp on your shooting. Today, you could save 10% plus get free shipping with offer code CR at checkout when you go to iTargetPro.com. It's the smartest way to practice, and it literally pays for itself on day one. I mean, your first day, you would expend that much ammo or that cost of ammo, easily blow through $100 of ammo these days um, going to the range, so... Again, letter I, targetpro.com, itargetpro.com, offer code CR. All right, folks, here it is. I'm really excited about this. Um, It took forever, but we finally got a sweeping broad ruling on the constitutionality of mass mandates and testing and quarantine and all this stuff. Um, A Boone County circuit judge, so this is the intermediary level court in Kentucky, um, Richard uh, Bergman he issued a permanent injunction on all of Governor Andy Beshear's uh, COVID mandates including the mask mandate in Kentucky this was a lawsuit brought by a business owner and then you had supportive plaintiffs in some state legislators and the Attorney General the Attorney General is a Republican the Governor is a Democrat there and It's the first time we've been waiting, like, when is a judge going to finally look at the facts and the evidence 15 months into this and say, wait a minute, these are fundamental rights, uh, freedom of movement, bodily integrity, you're taking away. What happened to strict scrutiny when, if you just looked at at the evidence, the government couldn't even pass a rational basis test for this stuff? Uh, So what's going on here? Finally, this judge did that. He allowed expert witnesses of the plaintiffs to bring them in, and he sided with them, and he said all of this stuff is unconstitutional. And I think this really lays the foundation to attack um, not just state – remaining state mandates, but some of the remaining federal ones, the most important being the – mandates from TSA and CDC on traveling and airplanes. But I think we can do this with hospitals as well. I think we can do this with the vaccine mandates or those that are saying you have to wear a mask if you don't get a vaccine for a number of principles. And and, I'll, and again, we we have to get this into federal court as well. This is state court. We need to get this into federal court because they're already promising to do this in the flu season and they're they're going to keep this going. He, he ruled that all emergency orders imposed by said defendants, which includes the governor and the uh, state health director, are unconstitutional, void, and without any legal effect. Um, this is really the first sweeping ruling that I've actually seen. And, you know, I will say I feel very proud here being ahead of the curve, one of the expert witnesses was none other than our, our very own Stephen Petty. He first made his name in national politics on this debate um, on this program three months ago. Um, I've written about him. I've used a lot of his research. He's one of the top senior industrial hygienists and exposure experts in this country. Um, he could blow anyone away on this issue. He said that masks are absolutely worthless to SARS-CoV-2 virons and the judge ruled with it it was really really a great ruling Um, 30 page opinion and good stuff it violates the constitution it violated state law because the state just limited some of the powers and you know the governor was just doing what he wanted anyway so this is a really good ruling and you know the thing is Part of the problem we have now is that they're voiding out a lot of the lawsuits, right? They're saying that, hey, the governors are getting rid of a lot of these things, so it's moot. So luckily, they got it in the nick of time. The governor is allowing the mask mandate to expire on Friday, but the judge still ruled, and and it's important we get this ruling now. There will be a hearing tomorrow before the Kentucky Supreme Court— I'm not so familiar with that court. It is kind of a mixed court, and there are some idiots on that that panel, so we'll see what happens. It could be overturned. But again, it's important that we finally establish this, and I think this needs to be the baseline um, for some of the other attorneys that are fighting this. They all need to look at this, this, uh, this opinion. It's, it's truly a masterpiece um you know he he pulled no punches and he he started off just noting from the get-go talking about executive power i think this is this is also just very important no one in the civil realm however high their office is above the law it was for this principle that english barons assembled at you know a meadow on June 15, 2015, forced King John to sign the Magna Carta. Even after he signed, the barons refused allegiance until he formally affixed upon it the seal of England. The Great Charter of Kentucky is its constitution and its guarantees are sealed by an oath, one that applies to all offices in all branches. And um, you know, he talks about the Constitution placing limits on power, on what government could do to citizens. All the laws enacted by the General Assembly and all the laws enforced by the executive are subject to those limits. The result, as John Adams put it, is a government of laws, not men. No branch, not even all branches acting in concert, can legitimately change any provision of the Constitution. Only by direct vote or convention of the people whose rights the Constitution exists to protect can any change occur. And, um, you know, he says words mean things. And the meaning of words in our Constitution is clear. The legislature alone enacts the laws. The legislative power shall be vested in the House of Representatives and the Senate. The executive carries out the laws. um, And the judicial branch adjudicates controversies according to the law. No branch shall exercise any power properly belonging to either of the others, except in the instances expressly directly or permitted. Again, this is from the Kentucky State Constitution, but there's similar provisions in almost every state constitution. So right off the bat, I love what he did with talking about executive powers. So before we even get to, you know the validity of these mandates, whether they're constitutional, and whether they work. So there's two things. A, they might be unconstitutional. Number two, even if they're not, do they pass some sort of balancing test that they they further a state interest? They work. And he ruled on those. But even putting all that aside, only a legislature can do that. Only a legislature can do that. Some people have a hard time reading law, or they don't care to even look at the law. Perhaps they need themselves some GoSpecs lenses from our friends at BetterSpectacles.com. Our other sponsor today, Better Spectacles, they're now offering an authentic German-engineered Rodenstock eyewear for the first time in the U.S. Um, Rodenstock is really the gold standard of glasses. They have opticians that specialize in difficult prescriptions, astigmatisms. Those of you who experience problems with progressives, and often because of that, you just throw your glasses into a drawer and never, never use them. But they make GoSpecs lenses that use advanced algorithms with more than a million patients measuring seven thousand points in the eye. They give you more energy, no neck strain, and the ability to see forty percent better. Go to slash conservative to schedule your teleoptical appointment. So you don't have to go in and wear a mask. Um, you don't even have to leave your house, and then you could just order them. They're offering my audience an introductory sixty-one percent off their Go Specs lenses. Uh, my wife loves them. Uh, really, um, you know, use them all the time. Uh, they feel great, and it's it's amazing how much of a fit they got. Because I also did this teleoptical too. I never had such a good fit. They did a really good job. Um, so, you know, those of you who see me on One News Network or, you know, Steve Days or when I get a chance to put out a video, you'll, you'll see them. Just visit slash conservative to see better. And we need that 2020 vision of the law. So, what I love about what this judge did is that he actually got involved in the nitty gritty of legislative authority. Legislative versus executive authority, and it's shocking how it took this long for a judge to even to even say this. Okay, and, and this is—I know this is a little bit in the weeds—and I want to get to more broader stuff today if we have time. But I think this is very important because this lies at the foundation of our government. Even if something is necessary and prudent and efficacious and constitutional none of which apply to the mandates, it, it still it has to be done by a freaking legislative body. You can't just have a guy get up there as governor or health director or health commissioner and hold a press conference and say, we are making life-altering changes to society, to your personal bodily integrity, to your businesses, to your schools, indefinitely. And somehow that's a regulation. That's not a, a, a regulation. A regulation is something that fills in the gaps of a statute. But if you're making life-changing things, that is something new. That is a statute. And that requires it to pass a legislative body. I'm going to read to you from the opinion here. Defendants, this is the you know governor, assert that if the governor's emergency orders are not legislative in nature or do not involve legislative power, then he has the authority under the Constitution to act without regard to any delegation under KRS Chapter 39A. If the governor's emergency orders were not engaging legislative power, they would, that would certainly be true. Legislative power is defined in Black's Law Dictionary as the power to make laws and to alter them at discretion. Legislative function means the duty to determine legislative policy, the duty to form and determine future rights and duties. The definition includes to bring something into or out of existence by making laws to attempt to control something by legislation. He goes on to say, Judge Bergman, clearly... What has been ordered by the governor's emergency decrees constitute legislation. Dr. Stack's testimony, this was during the case, demonstrates that he and others engage in a process of collaboration and review of CDC guidelines and other documents, the purpose of which is to impose rules on persons and businesses in Kentucky, and that in formulating these rules, they tailor them to apply uniformly across the Commonwealth. This is formulating policy. He further testified that they have repeatedly amended and revised their orders, thus showing they deemed to have the power to make laws and alter them at discretion. Indeed, he described the orders imposed as having a breathtaking scope. It is obvious from even a cursory review that the orders issued over the past fifteen months attempt to control and seek to form and determine future rights and duties of Kentucky citizens. These include ordering the closure of all businesses, except those the governor deemed essential. He ordered churches closed, prohibited social gatherings, included at, including at weddings and funerals, prohibited travel. Um, and through CHFS, even prohibited citizens from receiving scheduled surgeries. And then there's the order that everyone wear a mask. Listen to this. These are undeniably attempts to control, set policy and determine rights and duties of the citizenry, except in those instances where the federal courts have stepped in, defendants assert authority to modify or reimpose these orders at their sole discretion. Consider for example the recent modification of the mask mandate. It orders persons who did not get vaccinated for COVID-19 to wear masks but lifts that requirement for others. That is setting policy and determining future rights. And duties that is really that is a very important point he's making. Even if the stuff worked and they were constitutional, it has to go through the legislative process where it passes bicamerally either at a state and federal level and then assigned into law by the executive and then it's enforced. The notion that you could do something this broad in scope under the guise of emergency regulations covered by existing statute, is bull. Now, you might say, well, Daniel, this is unique to Kentucky because they did pass some laws this session limiting you know, what you could do to businesses, limiting emergency powers to 30 days, but the judge is saying much more than that. This should apply to every state, and more importantly, this should apply to CDC and TSA. How could you offer something that Earth shattering to sit in sweltering heat on a grounded plane for hours, covering your face to even a two year old before we even get to the you know, whether it's effective in the interest balancing test and whether it's constitutional without Congress passing such a law. So, that in itself, the fact that CDC could do something that broad without a new statute is insane. But then he goes on to finally go into the interest balancing test. He quotes um, Stephen Petty, our buddy, that he testified that both the six-foot rule, distancing rule, and mass mandates are wholly ineffective at reducing the spread of this virus. Masks are worthless, he explained, because they are not capable of filtering anything as small as COVID-19 aerosols. In addition, masks are not respirators and lack the limited protection that respirators can provide. The court finds the opinions expressed by Mr. Petty firmly established in logic. The inescapable conclusion from his testimony is that ordering masks to stop COVID-19 is like putting up chain link fencing to keep out mosquitoes. The six foot distancing requirements fare no better. And then also he had a, a section on data comparison to other states like you know Missouri and South Dakota, similar areas that you know fared no worse, often fared better and didn't do any of this. The data comparison there's there, there to be no emergency justification for continuing Governor Bashir's orders. Um, he went on to talk about the PCR testing, which you know takes away people's rights, and. He talks about how CDC now has a different standard, as we mentioned, of cycle thresholds for those who are vaccinated. This invites many questions, such as why CT values in COVID tests should differ based upon whether or not the individual being tested has been vaccinated and why a federal government agency has ordered labs to not include CT values on laboratory reports to inform patient management, even though the CDC indicates that PCR CT values should be less than 28 These are important questions. Case counts have been the poster child for the need to deprive people of their liberty. So he really gives the foundations for going after the fulcrum of COVID tyranny. Again, we need to do this. We need to strike while the iron is hot. Really, really important stuff here. Um, and, And again, folks, this is what needs to be done against CDC and TSA and even without that they're going to they're going to keep doing this you know um CNN had an article yesterday warning about the next flu season is going to be a doozy without any evidence in fact we know evidence has shown that when you have a severe flu season which covid is is basically like that it clears out the kind of the dry brush to use the fire analogy and those who are vulnerable Already died. So you're actually going to have a very light season. Now, the thing is, it's going to be light in terms of fatalities, but you could have circulation of the virus. And suddenly we're going to discover, oh my gosh, kids get fever for five days, three days, five days, even seven days. This is crazy. They're spreading it in school. Something we lived with forever. Now they lie and say COVID's worse than the flu for kids when it's not true. Later on, when we actually discover the flu again, we're like, oh, we forgot. It actually is worse than COVID, much worse than COVID, but we lived for it with it. Nope, now you have to wear masks. So, this is why, again, we need, in addition to never again legislation at a political level, we need to keep the lawsuits going before they're mooted out while we still have these mandates so we could prevent them in the future. It's very important. Judge Broigman ends off his opinion. What the people have endured over the past 15 months to borrow a phrase from U.S. District Judge Justin R. Walker is something this court never expected to see outside the pages of a dystopian novel. Yet defendants contend that the governor's rule by mere emergency decree must continue indefinitely and independent of legislative limits. In effect, defendants seek declaratory judgment that the Constitution provides the broad power so long as he utters the word emergency. It does not. For this court to accept defendants' position would not be honoring its oath to support the constitution it would be tantamount to a coup d'etat against it so this is a very important ruling and again we're going to need the same thing with the vaccine mandates because remember the same thing applies to the vaccine mandates because there's no logic behind them how could you tell me that anyone who wants it has a vaccine available yet somehow if i'm not vaccinated i'm affecting them And I have to wear a mask when masks themselves don't work. So this is something we really, really need to keep going. Certainly it is great news. And by the way, just so you know, what's so crazy with the, the vaccine stuff, I'm just saying the vaccines are starting to look an awful like the masking. Where if you look at charts... If you look at a scatter diagram of country by country state by state there is literally zero zero correlation between um vaccination rates and the surge in cases um one of our people on our on our group she goes by okay it's plc on twitter it's at humble underscore analysis. She put, um, or I think it's a he actually, puts out some really good information and did a scatter diagram and did a study of the Maldives, seashells, Bahrain, Uruguay, Chile, and Mongolia. And noted these are all places with greater than 55% vaccination. They're at the top of the list. And they've all had big surges over the last few weeks. And again, the reason is because these are places that largely did not have a large spread. So the vaccines did not stop it. In America, it stopped not because of the vaccines, because we we got it. It's all about reaching that herd immunity immunity threshold. The two things that matter that I want to discuss today, number one, it's all about natural immunity. And number two, so in other words, number one, your country is going to suffer until it reaches that threshold that is ironclad. Masks don't work and the vaccines don't appeal. appear to be fundamentally altering that. Number two, once you do get it, you are imperviously immune as much as you are from anything, much more so than certainly being vaccinated. And number three, you might say, well, Daniel, you know, it is dangerous to some people. You don't want them to get it. So, number three is how to achieve that immunity with the least amount of risk. And that is prophylactics and early treatment. We should have been warning people to test their vitamin D, vitamin C, and zinc levels and to prescribe strong doses accordingly to quickly get up their numbers. And then. Having some sort of guidance, balancing either prophylaxis, depending on who you are, and, and if it's a time of great spread, and early use of things like ivermectin. But again, they note, I mean, you look on and on, seashells vaccinated 72% of their population. They've been over 60% vaccinated for three months, yet they have the highest per capita rate of COVID infections on planet Earth. Okay, Seashells, some people say that's the Chinese vaccine, so it's garbage. But it's other places as well. Bahrain has the third highest rate of COVID transmission on Earth. Um, they have a high vaccination rate. Chile has nearly 60% of the population been vaccinated, basically close to the UK's levels, and they're experiencing a surge. Uruguay, similar dynamic. And again, Uruguay and Chile, they're in the same kind of boat, seasonal, geographical, and they're experiencing their thing because not enough people in large swaths of those countries have gotten it. Maldives, 54% of the population was vaccinated before cases shot up in um, February, March. And, And that's the story. And, you know, Mongolia... Ninth-highest COVID case rate on Earth. They had 55% of their population vaccinated before the surge began in April. And that's pretty much where we are. That is pretty much where we are, folks. As I noted earlier this week, in Israel, where cases did go down... But it was likely because of the herd immunity, because unlike these other countries, meaning everyone's like, Israel had high vaccination rates and it went down. But all of these countries, I just mentioned seven, had high vaccination rates and it didn't go down. The UK had high vaccination rates and it went down for a long time, but now it's creeping up again there. Could be they have more room to grow. And the proof is in the pudding, because in Israel, we mentioned a study that showed That kids, which until this week did not have access to the vaccine, there, they also weren't getting it. And it turns out that a third of them already got it. So they achieved herd immunity. Again, the herd immunity threshold for this vaccine, for this virus, is likely around 40%. Again, and that's not, it doesn't mean it's impervious. That's not extinction. It's certainly going to percolate, but where it kind of breaks the back of it. Whereas some other viruses, like measles, you're going to need a lot more than that. Measles, smallpox, things like that. But folks, I just want to get to um, one more story before I um, get to my article today. Just to show how rigged this system is and what a double standard it is. And how they are willing to destroy lives and lie Lie. It's all for the vaccine. They lie about natural immunity. They lie about seasonal geographical trends to juice up the vaccine. They lie about ivermectin and vitamin D to juice up the vaccine. And now they're lying about children's risks. This guy, Eli Klein, on Twitter, um, he's a writer for The New Yorker, I believe. He put on Twitter today... You can follow him at, at the Eli Klein. Very sharp eye here. He pointed out the differences between CDC's guidance, the way they frame the risk of COVID to kids relative to the flu before and now that they just updated it. Before, they said very simply, the risk of complications for healthy children is higher for flu compared to COVID. Okay, they said very straight up. Um, however, infants and children with underlying medical conditions are increased risk for both flu and COVID. That's actually not true. Um, they say infants and children with underlying medical conditions. Um, that I mean, even then they were wrong because, number one, infants are not. They really are not. There is zero evidence of that. They're they're, for infants, it's basically like strep throat. It's funny, my wife was telling me, we, we you know, recently had our 14-month-old, we brought her into a new doctor because we were sick of the old one, but looks like the new practice is just as fascistic. We can't find the normal practice. So the nurse practitioner said, um, was shoving a co. she had a COVID test in her hand. I was like, it's not COVID, like stop it. We, 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 th- we were wondering whether it's like bronchiolitis or bronchitis or RSV, one of those, and you know, it turned out probably it was just a bad cold. And she wanted a covid test. And my wife asked about strep throat. She's like, "Nah, you know, under 2, they don't really get, they don't really test kids under 2 for strep." My wife was like, "That's the same thing with covid." But no, she was sure that covid's a problem. Now, we certainly declined that. So they're wrong about infants. They're always wrong. And underlying medical conditions, you know, that that's too broad. That's what you would say for adults, but for kids it's really, it's, it's, it's not true. It, it's, it, it's much harsher than that. Um, underlying conditions, I, I've noted studies on that before. Um, there hasn't even been a noticeable threat for those with cystic fibrosis, for goodness sake. It's, it, it's really ones that are really on their way out of this world. Um, very, very few have shown to have died from, from COVID. And then when it comes to the flu, they say young children are at higher risk of severe illness from the flu, meaning younger children are at higher risk. Okay, now let's go to the current guidance. Overall, COVID-19 seems to cause more serious illness in some people. For young children, not all children, especially children younger than five years old, the risk of serious complications is higher for flu compared with COVID. However, serious COVID-19 illness resulting in hospitalization deaths can occur even in healthy young children. So they completely, it was already too strongly worded to begin with, but they change it to say, no, it could happen. Flu is only worse in children younger than five, which is actually the exact opposite of what they said about infants before. Why do you think they're couching it that way? They're couching it that way because the target for the um, vaccine is now children 5 to 17. It's unbelievable. The political science fits in perfectly. They're very consistent in that respect. They lie. And with that, I want to bring the discussion to ivermectin, India, vaccination trends, herd immunity trends, and the greatest story of COVID. That is not the Wuhan lab. It's the censorship of ivermectin and early treatments and the lies. You know, Malcolm X once said, the, media's, the media is the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty and to make the guilty innocent, and that's power because they control the minds of the masses. And folks, we see this every day. It's in the stories they put on your plate. They'll focus on something with tunnel vision and you'll think, like, that's everything. Like, blacks are being attacked by cops every day. I'm like, what? Really, it's the exact opposite. They could make guilty the innocent and innocent the guilty. We certainly see this with crime and guns, but it's true of COVID all along. I noted last week how the Manitoba premier, Brian Pallister, he was asked um about ivermectin and his like he said, why why is there hesitancy to using it? And his eyes started blinking, and then he said, Um, we're going to uh pursue domestic research that we hope, can lead to better vaccine availability in the future. <laughs> when, when, mind you, they already had a high rate of vaccination when they had the later spring spread than America, because, you know, again, Canada didn't get it that much to begin with. And I noted at the time that that video embodies the criminal behavior of the media and the political class in censoring life-saving cheap treatments like ivermectin. Even in vaccine-crazed Israel, they found this study of 30 patients that all of them recovered when using ivermectin, 29 of them within three to five days. But I want to discuss India. There's been a lot of discussion about India and ivermectin because at least they've been debating it there. The The federal government there has gone back and forth on ivermectin but there's about 33, 35 different states, and each one does a different thing, kind of like in, in, in the U.S., and there's a very good case study to be made out of it based on what they're doing. India is the perfect case study for what we're talking about. It's going to spread no matter what till you reach herd immunity. Vaccines are not really the ingredient that is slowing it down. It slows down when you reach herd immunity but ivermectin accelerates the slowdown and we can only imagine had they been using ivermectin prophylactically or early treatment before they were like oh man we're in deep doo-doo before it peaked because remember every response is always when it's too late whether it's Ivermectin, whether it's mass, whether it's whatever. Now, mass have shown not to work even when they were in place before the spread. But we don't have a single area that was using Ivermectin regularly before the spread. Before the big spread. They all waited until they panicked and it peaked already. And still, Ivermectin has shown to reduce everything. The province of Delhi, state of Delhi, they made use of ivermectin universal folks they peaked on april 24th in just five to six weeks cases are down 99 percent now india had a very sharp increase incline so you would expect you know as always you have a sharp decline But we've never seen that. Like, in America, we had 70 to 80%, depending on the place, within that time frame. But to get 99% is insane. Yes, it's herd immunity. Yes, they had a sharp increase, and they reached herd immunity. It's going down. So I'm not going to ascribe to ivermectin the same things that they're wrongly doing to the vaccine and masks. But it is very jarring to see a 99% decrease. Similar dynamic played out in Uttar Pradesh, that's a northern province. It's down 98% off its peak since late April. If you look at India's overall reduction, it's 76%. That's more in line with what we've seen globally in that time frame of how quickly it goes down. So what we've seen in India is that it appears to be going down Earlier, it, it shaves about two weeks off. In the in the in the states, I, I've I studied the different states, and the ones that are using ivermectin, it appeared to go down two weeks, two to three weeks earlier and steeper than elsewhere. Now, I first just want to mention something very important here. Everyone is yelping about India. India is horrible. Oh my gosh, people are dying. We do this in every hotspot. Every place gets their turn. It's not worse than anywhere else. So Fauci yesterday warned about the Indian Delta variant. So they first, if you show people dying in a certain place, it will give you the impression that it's worse there than anywhere else. Not just that they're just getting it later. They're getting the same thing later. Right? Right? So now they're saying, oh, there's an Indian Delta. And he's saying, what if that Indian Delta becomes prevalent in the United States? Then we're screwed. That's why you need to get vaccinated, folks. So somehow, again, natural immunity doesn't work, but the vaccine is going to work for the variant. It makes no sense. Either they both work or they're not. And, and obviously the Cleveland Clinic study that everyone's talking about now showed, once again, that natural immunity is impervious and better than the vaccine. But I just want to illustrate here, not just with COVID, but with crime and racism and any other thing the left talks about, how they have the ability, as Malcolm X said, the media, to make guilty of the innocent and guilty and innocent of the guilty. They could flip. They can make crap gold and gold crap. They could flip something on its head. Do you know? I have the chart in my article today. Do you know that even after India went through this deep Spring spread and now appears to be over with it and appears to be done and has achieved herd immunity. It's going to percolate in some provinces for another couple of weeks. Do you know that India's death rate, meaning COVID deaths per million, is still one seventh that of the US and the UK? One seventh. It's lower than Israel's death rate with their great vaccination rate, and it's fairly close to that of Finland, which for whatever reason the you know the Nordic countries seem to have escaped it at least thus far. You're always going to have places that for whatever reason will never will never know why. you know Finland, Iceland, Denmark, um Norway, they seem to escape it. Do you know that India? is almost on par. It's a little bit higher than Finland's death rate. Okay? Everyone knows Finland barely had anything. They forget that India is so freaking big it has 15% of the world's population. Until now, they, they barely had anything. Until now, they were like nothing. So now they got it. And they achieved herd immunity. How many people know that? So they're able to make a premise, India, dying, dying, let's have aid for India. You know, they have all these NGOs sending aid to India. And then they build off of that, oh, it must mean that there's a more deadly variant. And what if that comes here? One lie built off another built off another. One-seventh the death rate of the U.S. So they achieved herd immunity. Immunity. Was it the vaccines? India has fewer than 15% who have received at least one dose. In America, it's like 52%. In Great Britain, it's 60%. In Israel, it's even more. And yet they beat out those countries. India beat out those countries by a mile. The secret sauce is natural immunity which is much stronger than the vaccine, there's really no correlation, along with arming people with early, cheap treatments to obtain natural immunity as risk-free as possible. That is all we should have been doing, and we would have saved millions of lives. The Indian Bar Association is actually suing an Indian doctor because she happens to be the chief scientist at at the WHO, for spreading misinformation about ivermectin. And again, I I studied the geographic region. So you look at a southern state. This is all the way in the south, Tamil Nadu. And I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing the names wrong. There's this guy, I'm not kidding, his name, the newly elected governor, his name is M.K. Stalin. And he acts like Stalin. He basically banned ivermectin and he opted for remdesivir, okay? If you look at their curve, it's the exact, exact, Opposite of Uttar Pradesh and Delhi, the virus continued to peak for another month, so it didn't go down. Instead of April twenty fourth, it was more like May twenty fourth. It only recently began to go, finally go down, and even then, it's um, you know, it's it's a much shallower decline. Now you might say, okay, Daniel. Um, well, Uttar Pradesh is a northern province. You know, uh, Tamil Nadu is a is a southern one, different climate. You know, not near the Himalayas. It's it's tropical. Okay, maybe it came later. Well, if you look at two other southern provinces, that the, the, there's only two other ones that used ivermectin, according to news articles. There, one is Goa, G O A. They began offering ivermectin to all do- adults on March on on May eleventh. That literally literally was the peak day. It literally went down the day after that. It dropped 87% in just 4 weeks. So again, there is you could say it hit the southern areas a little later, but you're seeing again an earlier and steeper decline in the Ivermectin places even um you know, even even in the southern areas. Um you go on to Karnataka, with a K, if that's how you pronounce it, that is right adjacent to Tamil Nadu. Um, They sanctioned ivermectin use everywhere. It's the exact opposite of what Tamil Nadu did. And again, similar story. um, Cases peaked May 9th, and they plummeted. Um, Another, I don't have any other southern provinces, so the only other province or state that used it was another northern one. Uttarkand, um cases dropped 95% since the peak of uh, May 7th. Again, very short time frame. Clearly, clearly, it is working. Um, Mexico City, Mexico City, the mayor, Claudia Scheinbaum, um, they used it there. They had a, a tough late winter spread um, when America was already going down. And she credits it for decreasing hospitalization between fifty-two and seventy-six percent, according to their studies. And again, in all these cases, they, you know, whereas America they got desperate and went to big pharma. Places like Mexico and in India they can't afford big pharma, so they actually use common sense. But they they all turned to it when they were desperate. What if we would have if they would have followed Dr. Corey's guidance in December? And started using it then. Likely you would never have had such a steep incline to begin with. Riddle me this, folks. With all of the adverse reporting from the experimental vaccines, more than every vaccine in the history of the country, put together, why do the global entities continue to push them like candy without further study, but at the same time they refuse to greenlight ivermectin? When it has 29 randomized controlled trials vouching for its efficacy with zero side effects, it's been used 4 billion times over the years for other things, so there's no problems with it. Well, folks, there's an organization called Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, G-A-V-I. It was started by Bill Gates. He funded it in 1999 with 750000000 million. They're hooked in with the UN, WHO, every global health entity. Gavi is the swamp. That is the global health Nazi swamp. They are now paying for Google AdWords against warning against ivermectin. If you go to Gavi's website, they say um, the Gates Foundation is a key Gavi partner in vaccine market shaping. Well, folks, boxing out alternative treatments is one way to engage in vaccine market shaping. There's nothing quite like a market with just one show in town. This is what I'm warning. The Wuhan lab is not is you know, is by no means the biggest story. It's the global genocide of the people who claim to care about COVID more than anyone who are preventing treatment, who are ignoring the science of how the virus works, And they're putting it all into things that don't work and cause harm like the vaccines, which aren't even vaccines, masks, lockdowns, social control, destroying children. Notice every lie. Like there's certain things that are kind of murky about the virus. We don't have the answers to all things. But the things that have been ironclad are ivermectin, natural immunity if you've already been infected. And children are not at risk. Okay? Those three things they're fighting when the data is ironclad. Why? Because if those things, three things got out, they would single-handedly nuke the vaccine. Yes, we live in a system that will now elevate politics to the point where they will kill millions in order to get power, control, and money. And it's true not just of COVID, it's true of... Crime, it's true of so many of these dirtbag judges, politics controls everything. Never forget that. Folks, I didn't get to really what I wanted to talk about today on my crime stories and the, you know, this this guy, this guy who burnt down the police station in Minneapolis last year getting just 27 months in prison. Um, the judge praised him as being a good person, and he sympathized with his cause. Um, again, it's a two-tier justice system. Folks, sign up for ConstitutionAction.com. We are about out of time, but send this show to 50 of your friends, relatives, neighbors, coworkers. Give us a five-star rating if you can at iTunes. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.